Hey there, you handsome devil and or lady devil. Welcome back to another episode of Pick 6 Movies. That's right, you have made your way to the podcast in which myself, Bo Ransdell, and my best pal, Chad Cooper, well, we select six movies based around a common theme and then tell you little stories about them and goof on them a little bit. Basically, the who, what, why, when, and where of a bunch of bad movies. Here in Season 8, we have devoted our attention and time uh, to movies based around the theme, not that one, this one. About remakes that maybe you forgot ever happened. Look, we got a whole bunch of goodness ahead of us, so I don't want to waste any time. Although, I will say to loyal listeners, stick around for the end because we've got a bit of an announcement. But now, let's drag Chad in here with a little information about 2011's Conan the Barbarian? That was a movie. Terry, was that a movie? What did I watch? What did you watch? How was that? Oh, right, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the show's happening. Uh, see you guys later. To tell the story of Conan the Barbarian, we must first examine where Conan is now, how Conan got there, and the violent death that lays in the storied past of this character's complicated history. The narrative roots of Conan begins as many stories do with a child. In this story, a young boy is born into an unforgiving world. The relationship with his parents is complicated, to say the least. The boy finds his way through adolescence and into adulthood, struggling to make his way in a strange world and oftentimes violently reacting in response to his circumstances in an effort to survive. You know what, before we go any further, let's take it back a bit. In the early 2000s, Warner Brothers spent almost a decade trying to get a Conan the Barbarian movie off the ground. Partnerships with the Wachowski brothers, now Wachowski sisters, and separately with Robert Rodriguez, well, they all failed to really materialize. And due to all of this, stop, start, hurry up, wait, the movie rights reverted back to Paradox Entertainment, as did all of the draft scripts that were written. Paradox started looking for a studio that could get a Conan movie off the ground, and the top bidder was Millennium Films. With the movie set to start production in early 2006, with a proposed budget of $100 million in support of an R-rated movie. Boom, here we go. That's what I'm talking about. But 2006 came and went, as did 2007 and 2008, and nothing. But then, in 2009, things got right back on track, and Marcus Nispel took his place on the directorial throne of an all-new Conan feature film. Nispel had successfully remade the Texas Chainsaw Massacre back in 2003, he did a Frankenstein remake in 2004, and he was the guy who helmed the Friday the 13th remake in 2009. He had the chops to take what was old and make it new again. Sean Hood was gonna take a crack at rewriting the script. Hood penned Halloween Resurrection and The Crow, Wicked Prayer. Again, filmmakers found someone with a history of taking something audiences were already familiar with and then just slapping a fresh coat of paint on it. For casting of the film, producers snagged Jason Momoa as Conan the Barbarian. Momoa was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, and it was here that Momoa had set his sights on studying wildlife biology. But an early modeling career and an acting stint on Baywatch, Hawaii, interrupted those life plans. Momoa's role on Baywatch, Hawaii, led to more acting roles, including a spot on the television series Stargate Atlantis. 
And later, he was part of the wildly popular HBO series Game of Thrones, of which I have personally seen every single episode zero times. Momoa later filled out the swimsuit of Aquaman in Justice League, Season 5, Episode 4 of Pick 6 Movies, as well as a standalone Aquaman movie. But before becoming the savior of the seven seas, Momoa wielded a sword as the most famous of barbarians, Conan. In the film, Conan's father, Corrin, was played by Hellboy himself, Ron Perlman. Stephen Lang was cast as Kalar Zim, the movie's bad guy warlord who wants to reconstruct a bone mask so that he can bring his dead wife back to life who was a witch. In the movie, Zim and his dead witch wife have an adult daughter, played by Rose McGowan. This character was originally written to be a man, but McGowan convinced filmmakers to rewrite the character as a female. McGowan also wanted to include a dash of Electra complex in the storyline, but filmmakers weren't too cool with a subplot about a daughter wanting to have sex with her father, so McGowan opted to just act out this storyline within her performance that didn't rely on any real dialogue or plot. So keep your eyes open for that dramatic character interpretation. Early on, the movie's title was just Conan, but prior to the movie hitting theaters, it was changed to Conan 3D. But then somebody looked around and said, hey, no movie with 3D in the title is ever any good, so they changed the title to Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian opened in the United States over the weekend of August 19th, 2011, and it came in fourth at the box office. Ahead of it was The Help, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and Spy Kids all the time in the world, taking the first, second, and third places respectively. It should also be mentioned that a remake of Fright Night came out that very same weekend. And this remake of Fright Night was a very strong contender for this season of Pick 6 Movies. Fright Night opened up in 6th place, so, you know, at least Conan the Barbarian, you know, beat out that other crummy remake. When the film came out, critics panned the movie broadly, and for those that saw it, well, they couldn't help but compare it to the previous film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, you know what? Wait. To really understand the legacy of Conan the Barbarian, we should probably examine the previous two Conan the Barbarian movies. You know what, let's, let's just start over there. In the 1970s, film producers started kicking around the idea of making a Conan the Barbarian feature film. Film producers Edward R. Pressman and Edward Summer, well, they shifted things into high gear around 1975. And a couple of years later, they scored the film rights to make the movie. And you are never going to guess who wrote the first draft of the original script. Oliver Stone. Yeah, that Oliver Stone. The same Oliver Stone who almost made a Planet of the Apes movie, as mentioned in episode 2, of this very season of Pick 6 Movies. Well, this movie kind of sort of fell apart as movies do from time to time. So producers partnered up with, you're never gonna guess who, Dino De Laurentiis, the guy who made the 1976 King Kong remake from episode one of this very season. We are through the looking glass here, people. Now remember, this is the late 70s and Star Wars was the biggest thing in the universe. And Star Wars had set a very high bar for big screen adventures, and it really created an appetite for epic, heroic blockbusters. And movie studios were looking for opportunities to feed the hunger of theater-going audiences. With some new players invited to the game, the Conan movie began to pick up some momentum. John Melius was tapped to come in and help out with that script that Oliver Stone wrote, and on top of that, Melius was tasked with directing the movie as well. 
Melius had an impressive track record in the film industry, including writing the screenplays for Dirty Harry and its sequel, Magnum Force. He's got a writing credit on Apocalypse Now, and he would later go on to write and direct Red Dawn. No, not that one, the original one with Patrick Swayze. While producers worked out all of the necessary details around getting this movie made, they began looking for the movie star. Early on, reportedly Charles Bronson and even Sylvester Stallone were considered to play Conan, and I guess that all kind of makes some sort of sense. But to play the iconic barbarian, they cast the future governor of California and baby daddy to his personal maid son, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Once filmmakers saw the bodybuilding documentary Pumping Iron, they knew that Arnold was their guy. He was practically the living embodiment of the pulp magazine illustrations of Conan on which the film would be based. Schwarzenegger got paid a cool million bucks to play Conan, and in his contract he was prohibited from making any other sword and fantasy genre movies at the time. Legendary actors James Earl Jones and Max von Sydow rounded out the cast and this movie got made. This adaptation has a similar origin story to the 2011 version. The film begins with a boy dealing with the death of his parents and adapting to a violent and strange world in which he lives. The film was released on May of 1982 and it got mixed reviews. People liked the action and even liked Schwarzenegger's performance. However, the violent content and the screenplay were notable blights on the movie overall. Despite this mediocre reception, the movie was a financial success, taking in over $100 million worldwide on a budget of around $16 bucks. And you also got to remember, this was the early 1980s, and movies had a second life beyond theaters in the form of video cassettes. Five months after its release, Conan the Barbarian hit home video in October of 1982, and it was resoundingly popular with all of those people who had VCRs or Betamax machines and maybe Laserdisc players for those hardcore AV types. Conan the Barbarian was listed in Billboard Magazine's top 40 sales and rental category for 23 straight weeks. And when you have a hit movie on your hand, what do you do? You make a sequel. And the sequel to Conan the Barbarian was Conan the Destroyer. Director John Melius wasn't available to help with the sequel, but producer Dino De Laurentiis' daughter, Rafaela De Laurentiis, well, she was ready to produce one. So Richard Fleischer was recommended as a potential director by Dino to his daughter. Conan the Destroyer brought back Arnold Schwarzenegger as the title character. The movie also brought in singer and stranger spokeswoman Grace Jones as a female warrior named Zula. NBA legend Wilt Chamberlain was cast for some reason, providing him his one and only feature film acting credit. Olivia Diabo, who we last saw as the female version of Garth in Wayne's World 2, Season 2, Episode 1 of Pig 6 Movies. Well, she was cast as a princess. And David L. Lander, better known as Squiggy on the sitcom Laverne and Shirley, was cast to play the foolish thief Malik. But Lander was dealing with some personal health issues, and Tracy Walter ultimately got the part. Former professional wrestler Pat Roach, or as most people know him, the German plane mechanic in Raiders of the Lost Ark who gets chopped up in the propeller blades, he was cast as the man-ape sorcerer. And speaking of professional wrestlers, Andre the Giant played Dagoth but he was not credited in the film because he was in costume the whole time. Wait, hold on. The casting director wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger, Grace Jones, Will Chamberlain, Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley, the chopped up airplane mechanic from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Andre the Giant. <laughs> Who cast this movie? As the Conan sequel began to take shape, filmmakers felt that the original film could have done a little bit better at the box office if it hadn't been less violent and not rated R. So this was a real consideration as Conan the Destroyer was presented to the MPAA, and the movie came back with an R rating. 
So editors got to work and did their magic and got this thing down to a PG rating, keeping in mind that PG-13 wasn't really a thing at the time. This Conan sequel was less violent and had a lot more humor than the original. Conan the Destroyer came out in June of 1984 and it came in for the box office. The top spot went to Ghostbusters, followed by Gremlins and then the Cannonball Run 2. I can't argue with that ranking. Resident fantasy film soothsayer and sayer of sooths, Roger Ebert gave the movie three out of four stars, noting that the sequel was sillier, funnier, and more entertaining than the original, singling out Grace Jones' performance in particular. Conan the Destroyer brought in $31 million domestically, and there were plans to make a third film titled Conan the Conqueror. But Arnold was off making Predator, and things just kind of fell apart after that. Whereupon this third Conan movie eventually evolved into the 1997 film Call the Conqueror, starring Kevin Sorbo. Call, of course, being another famous fantasy character from the mind of Robert Irvin Howard. You know what? We should probably dive into the life of author Robert Irvin Howard to really understand the history of Conan the Barbarian. You know what? Let's let's start over there. Robert Irvin Howard was born in 1906 and is considered to be among the greatest American writers of action and adventure stories. Howard created Conan the Sumerian, Call of Atlantis, Solomon King, and many other memorable characters. During his career as an author, Howard wrote over 100 stories for popular pulp magazines of the day, and Howard is widely regarded as the father of the sword and sorcery subgenre of fantasy fiction. Howard contributed to the fantasy pulp magazine Weird Tales, where much of his most renowned work was published. However, he had work that appeared in a variety of magazines, including action stories, fight stories, sports stories, oriental stories, strange detective, Spicy adventure? Oh my. His work continues to inspire generations of fantasy writers, and he continues to gain loyal fans as his work is discovered by new generations of readers. Howard was born in January of 1906 in Peaster, Texas, just west of Fort Worth. His parents each had a strong influence on his life and career. Howard's father was a physician who had a gift for making up and telling imaginative stories, and his mother strongly encouraged the importance of education and reading. His family moved from town to town when he was young, which had a compounding effect on Howard, who was noted to be a very sensitive child. Texas in the early 1900s wasn't the most domesticated of places by modern standards, leading some to speculate how the barren landscape could have influenced Howard's later works of fiction. Howard's parents had a complicated marriage filled with fighting and unease. Howard's mother was his protector and drew him closer to ensure his safety. The family eventually took up roots in Cross Plains, Texas in 1919 when Howard was entering his teenage years. Howard loved to read as a child. He was quite adept at his studies and he loved boxing. In his late teens, he became interested in bodybuilding and eventually became an amateur boxer. Howard had a passion for reading and learning, but he found the structure of school a challenge as he did anyone who had authority over him. Howard would see bullies in school and he would confront them. Standing up to these bullies reinforced to the burgeoning author that some problems are best solved with physical strength and violence. Between resenting his teachers and beating up schoolyard thugs, Howard continued his passion for writing stories. When Howard was 15 years old, he came across the pulp periodical Adventure Magazine, and his fate as a writer was all but sealed. 
Howard was encouraged by his English teacher to send a story to the magazine, which he did and he was rejected. This was a blow that left a real mark on Howard's psyche that he held onto for the majority of his career. Although this initial rejection knocked him down, Howard wasn't knocked out. He continued to write for his high school magazine, and after high school, he pursued writing professionally. Howard worked odd jobs to pay the bills, but pursued his passion of writing and submitted original stories to magazines while he collected quite a few rejection slips. But in 1925, his short story, Spear and Fang, a tale about a Cro-Magnon tribe overtaking a neighborhood Neanderthal, appeared in the July issue of Weird Tales magazine. Howard continued to write stories, but he remained living at home as he pursued his career as a professional writer. His living at home also allowed him to assist in looking after his mother, who suffered from chronic tuberculosis. Over the next couple of years, Howard largely saw his work printed in Weird Tales magazine. Many of his stories included themes of racial domination and cultural decline. These were common throughout his early works, and he often decried multiculturalism and seemed to embrace the concept of white supremacy. Well, this took an unexpected turn. Along with those themes, Howard also had a temper that was ever-present beneath his introverted demeanor. Howard didn't like to work with other people. His biographer, L. Sprague Camp, said Howard took rejection notices very personally and at times never submitted to a magazine that rejected him once. Other times, Howard took out his violent tendencies when he boxed with a friend where he would lose control of all his emotions in fits of rage. Howard was never married. Shocking. And reportedly, he only had one girlfriend in his life. That is one more girlfriend than I would have guessed he would have had. In 1929, Howard published the Shadow Kingdom, his first sword and sorcery story, which was influenced by many authors, including Edgar Rice Burroughs. This story was the first appearance of the character called the Atlantean, who partook of violent and bloody adventures. That all makes sense now. By the end of the 1920s, Howard was making money as a writer and things were looking up for this violent man with some very interesting cultural and racial views. In 1930, Howard read a story by H.P. Lovecraft published in Weird Tales magazine. Howard wrote to Lovecraft and they struck up a friendship. And it turns out the two had a lot in common, including family, home life, politics, an outlook on how society should be structured. Yeah, oh, okay. Howard started incorporating elements of Lovecraft's narratives and style into his own works. In November of 1931, Howard published The Black Stone, which is heavily influenced by Lovecraft, and details a decaying civilization destroyed by their own cultural failures. You know what? Let's get back to Conan. Look, sure, Cull was the first sword and sorcery hero to spring from Howard's imagination. But it would be Conan the Sumerian who would make a bigger impact on literature and film. Conan was a mythical barbarian who made his debut in The Phoenix and the Sword in Weird Tales magazine in 1932. At the age of 26, Howard created a world that was not unlike Southern Europe and Northern Africa, where a wild adventurer would take over the known world. Good God. Some think that the Conan character was loosely inspired by Howard's father, with a backstory drawn from the legacy of his family's ancestry. Yep, uh, we're going to skip this part. I'm not reading that paragraph. And here we go. Howard went on to write 21 Conan stories, most illustrated by Margaret Brundage, who was the regular cover artist for Weird Tales magazine. Brundage produced Conan illustrations that were quite controversial to the magazine's readers, and they often included a lot of male and female skin and acts of violence. 
Sure, some readers love the sensual and controversial covers, while others just lost their minds in protest of all of the exposed skin and nipples and weaponry. The first Conan story was a big hit, but the next three that he wrote, mm, they were all rejected. But Howard didn't go beat anybody up. Instead, he just continued to write Conan stories that did make it to the printed page, bouncing around in different times of Conan's life. Sometimes Conan was a thief. Sometimes Conan was a pirate. And sometimes Conan was a soldier. But ultimately, Conan was the culmination of a lifetime of hard work and inspired creativity that reflected the success of the author's true self. What few knew was that Howard suffered extreme bouts of depression. Wait, the, the music just changed. Oh, the, oh, this can't be good. Howard's depression was compounded by his mother's deteriorating health due to her ongoing battle with tuberculosis. His mother's health worsened over time, and she slipped into a coma on June 8, 1936. Two days later, her son went to Brownwood and purchased a family cemetery lot with three burial locations. Howard came home to his father with a seemingly pleasant demeanor. He put his arm around his dad and said, Buck up. You're equal to it. You'll go through it all right. In the morning on the 11th, Howard asked the nurse, attending to his mother, if the nurse thought his mother would ever regain consciousness. The nurse said that she would not. Howard walked to his room and typed a four-line couplet on his Underwood typewriter. All fled, all done. So lift me to the pyre. The feast is over and the lamps expire. Howard had planned his death very carefully. He made arrangements with his agent, Otis Klein, for the handling of his stories after his death. He compiled all of his works, not yet submitted for publication, with instructions of where they should be sent. Days earlier, he had borrowed a gun from a friend, giving no sign of his planned use of the weapon. And upon hearing the news of his mother's condition, Howard walked outside of his parents' house and got into his 1935 Chevy. The cook working for the family heard a single shot and saw Howard slump over the steering wheel of his car. His father and another physician, who was a family friend, ran to find Howard. He had shot himself above the right ear with the bullet passing through his head and exiting on the left-hand side. Despite this terrible wound, Howard lived for another eight hours. He died around 4 p.m. Thursday, June 11, 1936. His mother died the following day. The family held a double funeral on June 14th, where Howard and his mother were laid to rest in two of the three burial plots he'd previously purchased. It's impossible to determine if Howard's suicide was due to grief, depression, despair, mental illness, or something else. Robert Irvin Howard died at the age of 30. His stories continued to be published posthumously, appearing in various magazines over the next couple of years, and a collection of stories appeared in 1937. In 1950, a publisher attained the rights to publish the entire run of Conan Tales, which found an all-new audience in the 1960s as the fantasy classic The Lord of the Rings was growing in popularity. Howard's stories were seminal in establishing the fantasy genre of literature, specifically the subgenre of sword and sorcery. Howard's life and legacy is complicated and contradictory. He continues to inspire the imagination of others far beyond his short-lived life. A boy born into a harsh world who emerges into adolescence. He struggles with complicated relationships between he and his father and he and his mother. He grows into adulthood where he finds himself in a strange world, 
solving conflict with acts of violence. This is the story of Robert Irvin Howard. You know what? Let's just start this thing over and get to the part where we talk about the most recent Conan movie. But what about Conan the Barbarian? Not that one. This one. The one from 2011 starring Jason Momoa. Would this Conan film have been better served as Conan 3D? How creepy is it to watch Rose McGowan suck her warrior dad's fingers? And is the fantasy genre as intolerable as I think it is, or is it worse than I think it is? Well, to answer all of these questions, I invite Bonan the Bobarian to join us as we dive into this, our season finale. And so, without further ado, Ladies and gentlemen, destroyers and conquerors, I give you episode 6, 2011's Conan the Barbarian. Welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I'm Chad Cooper and joined by my muscular, strong-willed, hard-headed co-host, Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing this evening? Uh, almost all of those were compliments. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I could not be uh, more pleased to be talking about Conan the Barbarian, a, a topic near and dear to my heart. I want to start off by saying, as implied or inferred in the opening, I do not like the fantasy genre of storytelling. Sure, I get that. You bring in wizards and dragons and swords and sorcery and potions and battlefields where trolls are beating up gorks with spears and axes and there's horses wearing armor. You you. You can just keep all of that. Whereas I, I like it when it's handled well. It's a real easy thing to get awfully wrong. I didn't like Lord of the Rings. All right. I never watched Game of Thrones. If there's a Renaissance fair coming to town, guess what? Molotov cocktails. I'm busy that weekend. <laughs> here's, here's what I like about both. You'll hear this argument made about Game of Thrones also. And it's it's what I like about the original Conan the Barbarian, the Schwarzenegger, John Milius uh, movie. The good one. The good one. That stuff is in there, but it's kind of matter of fact. There's not a whole lot of, like, we'll get into this movie. There's a lot of, by, I swear, by the sword of Octodos. There's not a lot of that shit in the original Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> the one time that it gets kind of frou-frou about it is when Schwarzenegger prays, but it ends up with him telling his god to go fuck himself. And that feels pretty good. <laughs> I used to live in a college town. And on the weekends, I would go to this public park near a river. And there was this group of adults that were dressed up like extras from the movie we're about to discuss. And they were really into LARPing. And for those who don't know what LARPing is, LARP stands for Live Action Role Play. And it was a bunch of, let me stress, adults that would dress up in chainmail, And they would bring out swords. And they would do all of this, forsooth, and for the I forswear. And it was just just an embarrassment to human behavior i'm not above it chad i haven't done it but i'm not ruling it out i feel the same way about civil war reenactments as i do about larping unless you're under the age of 10 you should not be outside on the weekends pretending to be a sorcerer 
How dare you? <laughs> Let people find their joy where they can, sir. You know what? If you're mentally ill, I'm okay with it. I would be fine with watching mentally ill people pretend to be a wizard or a troll. I'm down with that. You're basically just describing the plot of I Am Sam, <laughs> except that had more Beatles songs. You know what? If you're outside above the age of 10 pretending to be a sorcerer, you are not mentally stable. Well, you know what? Let's talk about Conan the Barbarian. Our movie opens up and we hear the sound of Morgan Freeman cashing a paycheck. Oh, I love it when he shows up, Chad. Oh, you know it's serious. <laughs> you cannot watch this movie. And as the narration begins, immediately not think, hey, is, is that Morgan Freeman? Uh-huh. There was a magician kingdom of Asheron. And they- Boo! Oh, Chad's here. But a bunch of dicks and Stygia, and I, <laughs> and they built a who's that's like the Iron Calamari. Basically, it's don't confuse it with with Lord of the Rings or nothing. But it's an octopus helmet or mask. What you put on and it gives you incredible powers. Wield the power of some agent monster or something. God, I, I loathe all of this. And so way back in the day, some dude had this mask and was killing a bunch of the barbarian tribes until only one tribe remained, Chad. And uh, this tribe was uh, the Sumerians, mm -hmm. which you may recall from the movie conan the sumerian is uh where he's from so they uh defeat this army of the octopus face guy and they split the octo helmet into six pieces again totally unlike lord of the rings mm -hmm. don't don't <laughs> don't mistake the two no then morgan freeman says and there's a prophecy about some guy will eventually rise up and reassemble this octopus mask and look very silly. How about this, barbarians? <laughs> Instead of smashing it up into six pieces, why don't you smash those six pieces into, I don't know, a thousand smaller pieces, and then smash those pieces into even smaller pieces? Because it's math. Make this shit impossible to solve. You're, you're answering the, <laughs> the question with the question. They're barbarians, Chad. Math is not their shtick. It is, we're going to beat some shit until it breaks. <laughs> Do you think they were like, what's the biggest number in the universe? Six. Is there anything higher than six? I can't think of anything. Stop here. What about you, Hrolnar? Hmm. How many did you say? Five? No, we said six. What the fuck? <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> did I miss a fucking meeting? Where did this six come from? <laughs> During this opening, we also see a few nipples. And this movie has a whole lot of nipples in it, both male and female. And if you edit out all of the nipples, well, the female nipples, this is easily a PG-13 movie. If you edit out all the male nipples, you got a six-minute incoherent found footage film of how to not make a sword or something. Just sand people hopping around. <laughs> That's all you get. There's nothing ultra violent. It's just every now and then it's like, oh, there's a nipple. Was that a man or a woman? Don't matter. I like nipples. Yeah, it's hard to believe that this is an R-rated film for as silly as it is. It, it, in your introduction, you talk about the difference in uh, Conan the Destroyer. And that's a movie I never really cottoned to much. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it is very silly. You know, how you cotton to uh, Conan movies. Uh, that's my other podcast, Cotton into Conan. <laughs> we explore everything Hyborian age related. 
So after Morgan Freeman kind of explains the construct of this film, and he's yammering on about the prophecy that something, something in the mask, and I'm pretty much ready to check out of the film altogether. We see a little baby in uh, its womb, and he's all sweet-like, and then a machete blade just pierces. It's a real, like... Like, where is the electric guitar to accompany this moment? This is as cool as the movie ever gets. <laughs> it just stabs this belly. And then we cut to a battlefield of barbarian weirdos and medieval swordsmen. And this is the point of the film where I, in my normal day-to-day life, would have just turned it off. If it wasn't for this show, I would have been moving on to something else. But... Boy, that's an early, <laughs> early turn off from Chad. This could get ugly. <laughs> By the time we hit uh, uh, 90 minutes, this movie has the audacity, the sheer (laughs) audacity to be two hours long. So we're on this battlefield and we see this warrior woman and she's holding her belly and it's the belly that just got pierced by the blade and she's not doing well. And she climbs up on a wagon to really take a load off of her feet as other people are clink, clank, clonking their swords around. And then Ron Perlman runs over to check on his wife. It's his wife, right? I mean, I don't think those constructs are really existing in this society, Chad. I think it's more of a common law thing at best. It's like he stuck it in there once or twice, so the odds are just as good as anybody else. He's like, have you met my old lady? (laughs) Ron Perlman, at the request of this dying female warrior, he cuts open this lady's belly and he pulls out this newborn infant. And when he cuts into her stomach, Ron Perlman, he sticks his fingers in this woman's mouth so that she can bite down to deal with the unimaginable pain and i'm secretly hoping that she bites off his finger because i'm like that would be an unexpected turn of events yes you're right i wish that he were devoured somehow in this movie because like this movie much like uh we have talked about already this season the story of this season is you're hitting all the same beats as the original thing but you're just fucking it all up yeah Conan's dad in the original movie is not only like given a battle axe to the spine, he is torn apart by dogs in front of his child. That is a way more metal thing to happen mm-hmm. than what happens in this movie, which again we'll get to. It's Ron Perlman yanking this baby out of her belly so she can see it one time before she dies. And then he's like, Hey, are you gonna name this kid or something? And she says, His name will be Conan. Eck. <laughs> During this scene, the music is all soft and quiet and personal and in the background it's just total chaos and bedlam right it's like uh in those commercials for video games where you hear like a real slow sad song played over tremendous violence Mm -hmm. one of those contrasts i think maybe marcus nispel Mm -hmm. is a bit of a visionary director as you pointed out having been able to successfully reboot and uh simultaneously shit on classic horror films just call me angel in the morning oh man baby i swear to god (laughs) the the uh his texas chainsaw massacre he did that that mess right yeah uh just one of the the rottenest things you're ever gonna see in your life it's just the shittiest anyway rob perlman grabs this naked baby doll prop and it's covered in barbecue sauce and he just screams out this barbaric yawp and this is the what the barbarian form of baptism i guess and then we get the title card conan of the barbarian in case you didn't know where you were or what movie you were seeing like if you had thought that up till now you were watching like rumor has it right (laughs) 
Like, oh my God, is Diane Keaton going to show up in this? Is this some sort of... Did Woody Allen direct this? We cut to the village of Samaria. And here we see the teenage Conan running around. And the village elders tell him, they're like, slow down, no running. Like, it's a public pool. But Conan (laughs) don't slow down. He's young Conan. He's his own little young man. He's probably, what, like 9 or 10? I was thinking 13, 14. He's, He's a little bit older than that. I, I've often said, I don't know how old kids get. I, I don't know what they eat. <laughs> Let's go 13, 14. Based right. on his behavior in a minute, if it was a nine or 10 year old, you got problems on your hand. 13, 14, eh, he's a young man. So um, <laughs> here we see Ron Perlman, the elder of the village, and he's holding this class for the up and coming barbarians. And he's giving these Ron pearls of wisdom. And the young Conan rushes up late to the meeting of the young barbarians. And Conan is kind of the littlest giant among his peers. And Ron Perlman is placing tiny bird eggs into the mouths of each of these young barbarian wannabes. And Ron Perlman says to Conan, he's like, didn't I give you chores, boy? And Conan's like, yeah, I did my chores. I want to play this egg mouth game. So Ron Perlman says, all right, the first one to run around the hills and get back with the eggs still in their mouth unbroken wins the right to fight with all the warriors. And I'm thinking that sounds like punishment if it was me. And I'm clearly not from the cloth that makes up a quality barbarian. Right. Meanwhile, Tripper shows up and is like, you're Rudy the Rabbit. You're Rudy the Rabbit. Just... Off the young barbarians go, eggs in mouth, to run around the mountains and make their way back. And you know what? A little secret. The first time I saw this, I thought, I'll bet Conan's going to be the one to accomplish this feat. Because he's smaller than all the other ones. And his dad singled him out and embarrassed him in front of all the other barbarian kids. I think Conan's going to win and make his daddy proud. Did you think that? Sure. Because you'd seen a movie or two in your life. But there's also (laughs) a lot more murder in between, which is a little more satisfying. It is, but it's just so blatantly predictable. Who among you will be the tallest and the bravest and the thickest and the strongest and on timest? Oh, Conan, welcome. I would say don't get used to it because this movie don't make sense for long. (laughs) So like maybe a little stereotype or two along the way is just what the doctor ordered for this piece of shit. On his way around the mountain with the egg in his mouth, they see like some cannibal warriors or something. I refer to them as Fohicans because they look like Native American warriors from any movie where the white guys are the heroes. Yeah, this could have been a last of the Mohican scene. which is kind of racist if you're not paying attention folks so all these mohawked warriors kind of like surround him he he, he tries to run at him and then they trip him with a bola uh whipping through the air and it trips him up and he falls and they surround him all the other barbarian wannabes they are just like like hey guys get out of here (laughs) and they run off and conan's the only one who stays cheese it it's the stereotypes And then Conan, of course, being Conan, murders all of them. He, like, gets free and and then just kills all of them. Yeah. And returns, which should have been a cooler scene than it was. It's not cool at all. No, it's not. And a a child murdering grown-ass men should be fun to watch. Right. Especially if they scream and yell like velociraptors. Yes. That kick-ass movie, practically, that's the whole movie. It's just like, what, what a 10-year-old girl just murders people? Of course I want to see that movie. In this scene, it doesn't work at all. Well, So Conan returns home, and he's covered in blood, head to toe, and he's carrying three decapitated heads of these Fohicans, you know, by their hair. Not only did he kill them, he cut off their heads and brought them home. And Ron Perlman is standing there in the village, and he's watching his son lumber into the village. And Ron Perlman, he looks a little concerned. 
concerned, as would any parent witnessing their young son toting around multiple decapitated heads, be they the enemy or otherwise. But this is Samaria after all. Like, oh, what this means to Ron Perlman isn't, oh my God, we need to have him talk to somebody. He's like, we need to make a sword. Conan drops the three heads with a kathunk, 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 and then he spits the egg out that was in his mouth, and you're like, oh man, he's totally badass. He cut off those dudes' heads and didn't break the egg. Yeah. Why didn't this scene work better in this movie? Because it really falls flat. There's no energy to what's happening. It's just, it's a flat recording of events. The music isn't very good at at Mm -mm. kind of capturing this epic moment. Also, it's just Ron Perlman. He's the only legit actor in the front end of this. I didn't look up who the editor was on this film. And I don't know what their previous work was or what they did in the future. But the editing of this movie presents chaos as being suspenseful. Yes. I mean, it's it's very chaotic, but it doesn't really make any sense. You don't really know kind of what's going on, and there's never a sense of peril. It's just bouncing around all over the place, and then you just sort of stop and land somewhere. He is Sir Ken Blackwell is the editor's name. Best known, perhaps, for also having edited Marcus Nispel's Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. But perhaps most recently Uh-oh. would be known for having edited The Bye-Bye Man. <laughs> which really makes a lot of sense. I can see this through line. Hey, you know what? We all got bills to pay. You're right. And some people apparently are failing upward. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Ron Perlman and young Conan, they decided to make a sword together ron perlman tells his kid hey swords have to bend and not break he asks his son what's more important fire ice and conan's like i don't know i'm not good at math like six seven shit seven i'm a genius top of the sumerian class (laughs) conan came up with a whole new number what the fuck did you ever do i collect all the eggs For them to put in their mouth when they run around the mountain. Really, Ronnie? And how many eggs did you collect? Six. Yeah, that's right. You know how many Conan got? He got seven. What the fuck? Did I miss a class? You missed all the classes. Long story short, they, they make a sword and they talk about fire and ice and they're both equally important and you think this is going to matter. It doesn't. And then we see Ron Perlman and he's watching Conan as Conan is practicing his sword fighting. And Conan's a real handful. <laughs> He's a scamp. He's a murderous scamp. During this scene, Ron Perlman's trying to see if his kid's, you know, worthy of having this new sword that they created. And Conan's just way too aggressive. So his dad takes his giant sword and smashes it into the ice on the ground. And Conan falls into the ice and into the frigid water below. And Ron Perlman says, you're not ready for this sword. And he leaves his son to die of hypothermia covered in ice water. When Perlman sends Conan into the icy waters, he sends him in with, you're not good enough for this sword, dick. And really lays into him and just takes off and is like, I'll see you later, man. Best of luck getting out of the icy fjords. Conan does get out and just starts Kylo renting mm-hmm. a bunch of trees yeah. along the way, getting real emo with it. Now our villains of the film appear for the first time. These maraudering ne'er-do-wells come riding in on horseback. It's Zim is Stephen Lang from probably best known from uh, Avatar. He was the villain in that. He's the guy from Avatar at the end who puts on the mech suit and the mech suit has a giant like bowie knife in its hand right sure does chad i don't give a shit that's yes you're right that's ridiculous i don't care that's equally as ridiculous as when we went to the moon and took a golf club yes yes (laughs) 
Sometimes you just do shit, Chad. It doesn't make sense. But that's the human animal. Our battle rages, and Zim, our bad guy, he's surrounded by the Fohicans from earlier, as well as about, what, 5,000 warriors on horseback? It's a real overkill situation of taking this village of barbarians. Yeah, it's not often you see a village just good old-fashioned raised in a movie. Uh Uh-uh. And I guess that's kind of refreshing. Yeah, it's just your typical burning and pillaging. Zim shows up with his mini-bosses. They drag Ron Perlman into a hut. I think it's his the room where he blacksmiths blades and shoes horses or whatever. I ass- I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's where they live. Maybe he shits where he eats. I don't know. The bucket of molten metal was the telltale for me. I also don't rule out the fact that that's where they live. Right, sure. I think it's one and the same. Okay, so there's some fighting and whatnot, and Zim drags <laughs> drags Ron Perlman into their home business as we've compromised. <laughs> right. And it's like, you have to swear allegiance like all these other barbarian assholes have done. Ron Perlman, of course, is like, no, we are Sumerian. You can take it up the butt. And Zim is like, hey, that is uncalled for. And then little Conan uh, leaps in. He jumps through the air and starts beating people up. And during the melee, he lops off the nose of this big fat henchman Lucius. Right. And when Conan cuts off Lucius's nose, Lucius screams out, Ow! My nose! It's probably what I would say. There would be more (laughs) profanity, obviously. (laughs) Fuck! My nose! That's probably how that would go. (laughs) When he said that, I was like, so that's for the people that were looking at their phones when this movie was was happening? Wait, something happened to a nose? I mean, by this point in the film, you gotta think that's 40 to 50% of the audience by now of just like, I'm gonna angry birds my way (laughs) right through this movie, I think. Young Conan gets in a few whacks on some of the bad guys, but they're all adults and they quickly take command of the situation young conan is now kneeling beside his father and the two of them hold hands a la toy story 3 and i'm thinking that these two are gonna die and we can really wrap this movie up in surprisingly short fashion and i may be able to give it a thumbs up but that is not to be the case because young marie zim's little goth girl daughter Mm -hmm. is in like a trance and is like hey marie we need you out here and she's like sorry father i was listening to girlfriend in a coma in my head and she has sensed the bone shard and this is to your point chad you gotta ease people into this shit (laughs) they don't this is a real like clean and jerk where it's like what we're looking for a bone shard now all right where's the fucking dragon that's gotta be any second right it's amazing that it doesn't get more magical almost than it it implies Um, not right now later on we're gonna deal with all kinds of hocus pocus marie has these freddy krueger finger blades on one hand for some reason and she starts sniffing around looking for this bone shard and then her eyes go all white like jaws when she gets the scent (laughs) marie's eyes were a doll's eyes (laughs) when you see marie coming for you and those eyes roll up white and then you hear the screaming show me the way to go home So Marie goes over to the floorboard and she picks up this piece of wood and she's like, hey, it's right over here. This seems like a really lazy place to hide such a valuable mystical object. This seems like the kind of place you would like a 1960s teenager would hide girly mags or a 1970s teenager would hide his weed or a 1980s teenager would hide their Sony Walkman. 
Because it's the 1980s. I get it. <laughs> but also, as we've established, Chad, this apparently is the only place they know. This is it. Like, this is they they live there, they eat there, they fuck there, they make swords there, they hide their shit there. Like, it's a very self-contained tribe. Where else would we go? We can only go seven places now. <laughs> you tell me I gotta hide something in one of those seven places? What the fuck's the point? We all know the same seven places. It used to be six until last week. Did you hear about Conan's discovery? Yeah, top of the class. Thanks. Now I got to keep up with one more place. Thanks, Conan. I had a good thing going here. I was on cloud six. I was so happy. We also kind of glossed over that Zim concocts this medieval Bond villain trap for Ron Perlman, where he straps up Ron Perlman in a standing position. And up above his head, there's this big bucket of molten lead that might tip over and burn him if his legs give way. And it's attached to this other chain. Once they find the missing piece, they're like, hey, man, you know, we're, you know, we're good to go. We've got what we've come for. You know, it's time for us to bounce. Behind all of this is Lucius. Remember the fat man whose face is now spited? And he's holding this soiled piece of cloth up where his nose once was located 60 seconds ago. If I'm Lucius, I'm screaming and cursing and demanding some form of what would be very loosely described as medical attention. Who knows? Maybe a dirty rag to the face is the equivalent of a visit to John Hopkins during this time and place in the history of the world. Right. It's either that or get the leeches. Zim says, hey, burn the village and kill everybody. Before we go any further, we have totally skipped over the whole plot of this movie which zim's like just vomits out at one point which is that the bone shard is a piece of the octopus helmet from that we saw at the beginning and he is reassembling said octopus mask uh-huh because he wants to bring back his wife marique's mother who died somehow and who cares not me right but so that's what they're trying to do and before they fuck off out of the room marique is like once we find the pure blood father mother will return so there's two pieces to this uh zim has assembled the mask but they need the pure blood to finish whatever the fuck they gotta do to get whoever back from wherever so just to be clear (laughs) during this scene zim's like hey we're gonna leave but you know what we're gonna do to really make things sinister we're gonna have young conan hold the chain that's attached to the molten lava bucket above your dad's head and if your dad falls he's gonna get burnt or if conan lets go of the chain your dad's gonna get burnt up essentially zim is going to kill them with they love right and on his way out he's like isn't it delicious corin that you are going to see your child die in front of you because he loves you then he leaves and uh pearlman is like conan you gotta let go of the chain and conan's like bullshit i'm saving you dad and then ron pearlman is like no i love you conan you'll never get over this this nightmare that you're about to witness and he yanks on the bucket of molten steel or whatever Mm -hmm. and and pours it on himself and it melts off his father's face in front of his son that's gonna leave a scar emotional or otherwise there's not a lot of mental health in samaria unfortunately so he's gonna have to channel that that rage and (laughs) and terror in other directions namely slaying stuff right (laughs) lil conan wanders outside because there's nothing left to do in his old place no everything is either on fire or dead right and then he just roars and aims his sword at the sky fade to black yeah and then morgan freeman is like what you need more 
Let's do it. And shows back up with a story about Conan. Like, he wandered the edge of the world, slain and surviving. It's like, yeah, we don't want to see any of that. That sounds too fun and exciting. And then he's like, oh, also, he was a pirate. It's like, what the fuck? Where is that movie? Where Conan's on the high seas battling hydras and having adventures and shit. Not in this movie. Right. And then he's like, instead, he is grown-ass Conan. And he's a slave. And it's here. We finally get to see about like what 30 minutes into this film jason momoa as bronan the brobarian he's full-on brobarian form are you kidding brother i'm pumping iron for eight weeks getting getting these pecs ripped i got these nipples down to dime size i'm looking for this bad dude that killed my daddy when i was a little squirt what's that over there slave colony shit man there's two things that i fight for number one freedom from slavery number two the right to party let's do this thing Woo! and uh so he's like Hey, brother, no man should live in chains. That is Kona's number one rule. (laughs) Number two, always crush your beer cans on your forehead. That is a given. So his buddy is named Artis. Don't matter. Right, doesn't matter. And then he's just like, I'll tell you what would be awesome, Artis. How about we just roll some big-ass rocks down there, brother? Let's stir up his honeypot. So that's what happens. They just roll big (laughs) rocks at slave and slaver alike. It's such a poorly thought-out plan. These boulders are most likely going to kill as many of the enslaved as it will of their captors. Way more, you would think, because they're chained the (laughs) fuck together. And it's like a big game of Katamari Damacy. (laughs) These boulders crash through this village, destroying all manner of shops and wagons and slave cages. And then Bronan just comes riding in on his horseback, shirtless, as he is almost the entire movie. I think he (laughs) has at least one nipple present in every single scene. They, you know, kill all the slavers and whatnot. It's, again, none of the action scenes are nearly as exciting as they ought to be. Or as brutal as the original, where it's like, hey, this isn't all that well choreographed, but it sure looks like people slamming heavy shit into each other after they kill everybody immediately like this movie takes a weird turn where he just finds a cart full of sexy slaves he's like hey brother you are free now i mean sister they're like well what are we supposed to do now and then he's like you know what brother how about we go to messigia that place knows how to party sunset booze cruise it is five o'clock somewhere let's get on these boats and get going yeah and then everyone acts like this is now a big sexy party that everyone's having and it's just like hey you guys have been slaves forever brothers and sisters it's time to knock back a few cls and fucking let loose we cut and it's nighttime in Missantia, and conan is arm wrestling his buddy artist in this medieval nightclub bar and everyone in this place is topless both women and men alike there's a lot of nipples in this scene at the center of it all conan and artist instead of engaging in the pleasures of the flesh just decide to drunkenly arm wrestle <laughs> Just like, hey, man, we'll get to that in a minute, brother. About me and you, bicep to bicep. Let's do it. I'm going to turn my crown around. Yeah, that's right. Just like Sylvester Stallone in that movie, brother. Conan wins the arm wrestling, and Artis just punches him in the face. Right. Then it's just like, oh, brother, that got me good, man. I didn't even see that punch coming. Come on, yeah. let's drink some more. And- Bronan screams out to the old lady that runs this place, who luckily is not showing us her nipples. And Bronan was like, hey, we need a couple more pictures of Middle Light and six dozen more chicken wings. Drumettes only. Half extra spot. I see half honey barbecue, lots of blue cheese dressing, no celery sticks, carrots this time. Woo! <laughs> and then while they're telling stories about one time when they killed a sorceress or something, a dude with no nose rolls up. It's Lucius. 
Uh-huh. And then Conan also is like, I spy with my little eye, a little patch motherfucker over there, too. And it looks like Lucius, one of the mini-bosses of this movie, and his team are chasing after this thief who what got a patch on his eye. Yeah, let's call him Eye Patch, because I don't remember his name. It's a more complicated name than it needs to be. Right. And Conan stops uh, this thief and is like, hey, why they hunt you, brother? They look like uh, you, you really got the... Be in their bonnet, if you know what I mean. And he's like, I stole some shit. Dad, does he even tell him at this point? I don't even remember. Basically, Bronan is like, hey, bro, I need to get into prison to help move the plot of this movie along. See, I cut that fat bastard's nose off, and that guy knows the guy who what killed my daddy. So let's start a good old-fashioned bar brawl, and we'll both get arrested. Let's do this, man. Woo! The guard rolls up on him and is like, hey, you're not supposed to be here. And he goes, that's right, motherfucker. Special delivery. And just punches the guard in the face. And then it immediately is like, I turn myself in, brother. Sorry about that. Hey, just no hard feelings, man. I, it's just a thing I had to do. <laughs> Tell you what, you want to hop off uh, on this particular train ride, stop by the commissary before we go to jail? Hey, beer's on me. All right. Just me, me to you. Bronan is taken to prison and he's all chained up and he's like, where's the captain of this place at? I got a bone to pick with him. We cut over to No-No's Artemis and he's in his torture chamber putting the screws on some guy's arms. We cut back to Bronan and then he just proceeds to kill everybody in this jail that's not a prisoner and one by one he dismisses the guards and he uses this technique that he perfected as a boy where he decapitates the people <laughs> that he kills hey go with what you know brother cutting off heads is what i do it is the bronan signature it's my finishing move first i kill them then i remove their head i call it the conan petition it's hard to say it's not taken off the way i'd like it to to be honest with you brother i'm not gonna lie about that <laughs> so conan jumps off the head of this head guard and he goes over to the door of artemis and knock knock who's there and they slide open this little window and they see the it's me the head of the guard and they're like oh it's you come on in so they open the door and you see conan with a decapitated head in his hand not an unfamiliar uh, not an unfamiliar sight in this movie and then conan goes in and just starts beating the shit out of everybody he walks in he's like hey man it's time for you to get ahead in life <laughs> get it ahead get ahead shit man that's a way homer you're gonna get it on the way home where the hell's that no-nose bastard artemis get over here you goofy fat bastard yeah he puts him in puts the screws to him like he was doing to the uh the patch guy right and is uh has his hands in this torture device now and now this thief is, is screwing it on tight and cohen's just like hey brother you can make all this go away all you gotta do is tell me about zim i want to know where that motherfucker is you get to go home bronan takes his fingers and sticks them in the hole that once was his nose and then artemis pees on himself <laughs> yeah how embarrassing well i mean it's an extreme situation chad the kid <laughs> who cut off your nose has come back and now has you in your own torture device you're like this is how it ends and so ends lucius no one will have seen the things that lucius has seen and this absolute idiot is gonna be my undoing from the torture device he tells bronan that hey man look zim used to be a bandit but now he's a shadow lord yeah and bo this is precisely why i hate this <laughs> genre of storytelling <laughs> yeah well it means nothing chad <laughs> i know <laughs> and bronan says hey man look 
Tell me where I can find Zim and I'm not going to kill you. Cross my fingers, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. You can count on me, brother. And he's like, look, uh, Zim and this witch daughter of his are looking for a girl. Mm -hmm. You remember the pure blood from the beginning of the movie. He's like, I think I do. I don't know. I was a different kid. I I mean, it wasn't like a boyhood thing. I wasn't here the whole time. That was probably, what, five, six, maybe seven years ago? <laughs> Here's some more gibberish for you, because uh, he he's like, you know, Zim is returning to Cal Corba through the Forbidden Forest, right, with leprechauns. Just knock it off, trolls on unicorns. Even I, like, I have a high tolerance for this stuff. Clearly, <laughs> I don't. Right. So, but even for me, my note here was this is tiresome. <laughs> And then he, like, uh, puts Lucius in, in the shackles and makes him swallow this key and then drags him outside to tell all the slaves out there they can be free. They just have to get the key in his belly. Some real saw shit, brothers. You just, you got 24 hours to claw your way into this fat motherfucker's belly. Grab that <laughs> key and get yourselves out of here. It's just like, you know, Paul Simon said, brother, just drop off the key, Lee, set yourself free. That man had it right. I think he did, Linda Ronstadt. If he didn't, he should have, brother. You're probably going to find a couple of Jumbo Jacks and a Jamocha Shake, most likely. You know what? Cut this fat pig and find yourself some sweet freedom, hombres! Yeah! I know for a fact he ate a cream cheese brownie. I saw it with my own eyes. That, that thing ain't been in there 10, 15 minutes. It's practically new. This guy, Artemis, screams out, You promised you would save my life. He's like, No, man, I promised I wouldn't kill you. You gotta pay attention to the fine print of these verbal contracts, mi amigo. Bye, conditos, gordo muchacho. Yeah! Yeah, so he takes off, and at the Shaipur Monastery, Chad, our new character, Tamara, Uh is getting a prophecy from some seer dude. He says, One day you will meet a warrior who will take you to your birthplace yeah this dude's totally getting fucked up on a hookah and spouting off a bunch of nonsense uh marique shows up and she's like the pure blood is close it's our first look at rose mcgowan as uh the sinister marique i adore rose mcgowan in a number of roles she is not made for this kind of dialogue she looks weird in this movie she looks like that toy from sid's house the one that was the baby doll strapped to the head of the like spider leg erector set a little bit all right i'm with you she kind of looks like helena bottom carter from the very end of mary shelley's frankenstein as well and if you're going that route you have to say uh she looks a little like the cover of the trauma film terror firmer or she kind of looks like <laughs> helena bottom carter from alice in wonderland or the titular character from hello mary lou prom night 2 <laughs> she kind of looks like a potato or helena bottom carter <laughs> So on a boat, finally, we get to see a little bit of piracy, uh, you would hope. Conan is uh, telling artists like, hey, I got to go find this Zim dude. And artist is like, I'll come with you. And he's like, no, brother, not this time. There's something Conan's got to do by himself. Also, how about some ladies? We got some. Can we get some? Also, same question, substitute the word we. I need to know both those things. He's like, but come tomorrow man i do this all by my lonesome sorry brother i'll catch you on the flip side you know that's right we then cut back to the jungle and whenever we see zim and his army marching through the woods they're dragging along this giant pirate ship looking thing that's being toted around on the backs of 
elephants. I don't know what the hell is going on here. Is this a boat show? Like, why is there a boat in the jungle? Yeah, it's a fine question. I don't know. I guess it's like, we're going to live in this apartment. It's vaguely boat shaped. But you're going to carry our apartment everywhere. It's like, what? We come back to the monastery, and then a bunch of the Zim's bad guys, they crash through the walls, and they use the boat as a battering ram, so maybe that's what it was meant to be. It's kind of like the end of Speed 2, kind of. It, again, keeping with the theme of this movie, everyone's using their one house for everything. It's their home, it's their weapon, it's their traveling toilet. I mean, They're it's... like turtles. <laughs> yeah. What's the battering ram ship smashes through the wall? All of the women in white that are hanging out with hookah johnny uh they all scamper off in different directions and tamra our main woman in white she shows some real leadership and she's like hey we got to protect hookah johnny because he's their weed connection and if he dies this whole monastery is going to dry up overnight he is sitting on californian legal shit brother i cannot have that dry up on me now when i got a party coming up this weekend who are we kidding bro man you got a party coming up every weekend that's why you were so fucking cool be a fan of yourself brother <laughs> It's Conan's lesson number four. The bad guys attack with swords and hammers. And whenever anybody gets clobbered in this movie, Ook and Gook and just orange squirt and red squirt fires out of them like it is the end of a Gallagher concert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first few rows are going to get wet in this movie. It wasn't 3D, Chad. Ladies and gentlemen, I did not come here tonight to kill the innocent. I came here to sell you something and I want you to pay particular attention because the amazing man. Master Tool Corporation, a subsidiary of Fly-By-Night Industry, has entrusted who? Me. To show you the handiest and dandiest kitchen tool you've ever seen. And you want to know how it works? First, you take an ordinary human skull. You place that ordinary human skull between the patented pans. Then you reach into the tool set. It is not a slicer. It is not a dicer. It is not a chopper. It is not a hopper. What in the hell can it possibly be? Slash-O-Matic! <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> There are moments on this show, my favorite moments actually, where I can just sit back and I'm like, there's a bit coming and I'm going to enjoy every second of this. <laughs> that was a delight. As the bad guys attack, Tamara kills one or two of them, so she's no stranger to murder. She's got some problems as well. And... <laughs> And and the the master, yeah, Hookah Johnny. He's like, you got to get out of here, man. Place is getting heavy. What he says to her is, "Do you trust me?" And Tamara says, "With everything I have." And you know what, Bo? She can trust him because he asked her, "Do you trust me?" Again, quick pick six movies trust recap. Yes, someone in a movie says, "Trust me." You don't trust him. Nope. If they ask you. Do you trust me? Then you can trust them. 100%. If they say, don't trust anyone, you can trust them at first, but then later on, you can't trust them. They're going to screw you over. Yes. It's just basic movie math. I have often said, uh, and I'll say it again for this finale, we are edutainment. <laughs> After the master sends Tamara away in a carriage, Conan is using his telescope, question mark? I, I guess so. I don't know what that tool is. Right. It was like, wow, there is some technology, but not others. And it seems weird. Where did he get it? He was a pirate. Oh, yeah. The movie I actually 
might have enjoyed. And so Conan uses his telescope to see what he thinks is Zim's carriage. So he is chasing the carriage because he thinks that's where Zim is. And he jumps on the carriage, busts it open like a coconut. He's like... Oh, shit, sweetheart, who are you? I expected Zim, not a sweet little desert flower like yourself. Hey, quick question. Any reason your breasts are not fully exposed? This movie has a dress code and your compliance is something that needs to be discussed. Yeah, and she's like, hey, dick, what are you doing? Like, I'm not Zim, clearly, and you're busting into my carriage. I'm supposed to be getting away here. Now the bad guys have shown up. Uh And so she climbs out of the carriage after the driver gets shot with an arrow and actually does a good job of holding her own by kind of like releasing the carriage behind her and sort of steadily climbing the team of horses to the front as conan is punching and swording and whatnot the action sequences in this entire film are really lackluster and again to use your own words Bo like if you're not paying attention it seems like a whole lot's going on but if you really focus it's just a bunch of confusing edits and incoherent non sequiturs between one set piece to another it it doesn't do anything to progress the plot you could edit it out and it has no bearing on the film whatsoever it's it's worthless all the action sequences in this are just dull that's a better way to say it Conan does clothesline a horse with a giant anchor chain I was just gonna say he punches out a horse with a chain and that's the coolest thing that happens in this whole scene just like look look brother this is all aspca'd up we are not really hurting this horse but come on it's cool as shit to see one get knocked out hey arnie got to do the fucking camel in number one we one upped it brother we went straight to the horse back at the monastery marika is taking her new and improved freddy krueger fingers and she's testing the blood of each of the women in white to see if they're the true pure blood rose mcgowan goes one by one testing their blood the first one she kind of like pricks her and puts the knife in her mouth and she's like it's not her the next one she just stabs in the belly one of them she just gashes across the face and it turns out that zim is informed that the true pure blood escaped because hookah johnny let her jump into the aforementioned carriage and so here we are right god this is all just nonsense you're you're right i'm starting to come around to your way of thinking maybe i was wrong all along chad maybe i didn't even like the first one during this scene we do find out that zim confronts hookah johnny and says hey look you and your people were the ones who were responsible for burning my wife to death because she's a witch right and then zim takes an ordinary human skull he then splats johnny hookah's head on the marble floor and johnny hookah is gone Yes, I was down for this as well. Uh, I thought this was needlessly violent, and that's what a Conan movie ought to be. You know, the best head smashing I've ever seen in a film was Nicolas Cage in Wild at Heart. That is the one that really stands out in my mind of killing someone by just bashing their brains onto a hard surface. That's really good. You should see the movie Midsummer. No, thank you. (laughs) So Conan then knocks out uh, one of the mini bosses, a dude named Remo, with his own shoulder plate. They kind of take him captive. So at camp that night, Conan has Tamara tied up because they're now rolling together. And also this dude, Remo, tied up. Yeah, he's the only bad guy that wasn't killed in the carriage chase. Right. There's some debate over, like, between Conan and Tamara about, like, having her tied up. And he's like, look 
look, man, I don't want to do this. This is really not my speed, brother. But you got to stop with all the yap yap, so I'm just going to gag you. And that is going to make things tense for a while. I get it. But Conan needs some sleep. I've never understood in movies when someone gags another person by jamming like a piece of cloth or a sock or something in their mouth, how that prevents them from just using their tongue to spit it out. I I don't know. I've never tried it myself. I've never done the home game of that. Even if someone forcibly jammed your mouth full of cloth, don't you feel like that you have the oral dexterity to be able to push it out? It's not like a gag ball where there's something in your mouth and it's strapped around your head. He just like tufts some fabric shards in her mouth and that shuts her up. Well, maybe it, it goes back to the whole six versus seven thing. You know, she's just never thought about it. But she's as a barbarian as he is. That's the subtext <laughs> of this movie. That the one thing that they share is love. The next thing we cut to Marika is inside the cabin of the land ship that they roll around on. And she's undressing her dad, Zim. And it's here that Zim spouts off about how great it's going to be to have his dead witch wife back. And then Marik gives her dad some real fuck eyes. And the dad's like, hey, look, I'm a bad dude but even i've got a line i won't cross well and then she sucks his thumb a little bit yeah. and and he does kind of a fake out where he kind of gives her a smile like perhaps daughter and then is like psych and just shoves her off and is like i knew your mother you know your mother I, you know, at least we got incesty for a couple of minutes in this movie for no reason. Talk about it in the intro, but it's one of those things like this has no place in this movie. The next morning, Conan wakes up with Tamara and whatever that guy's name is, who didn't what get killed the day before, who works for the bad guys in. And uh, they make their way over to this ambush location. And it's here. Bronan really gets a chance to come face to face with Zim. So Bronan and Tamara and this bad guy, they all show up and and Bronan takes the errant bad guy and kind of straps him to a chair and then puts him in a trebuchet and then slings him through the sky whereupon this dude crashes into the land ship precisely into the sleeping quarters of Zim and I guess Marik is like laying at the foot of his bed or something or she's kind of in his lap it's it, it almost looks like did they just finish fucking is that where that scene ended up I hope not one one thing I would like to point out just for the sheer irony of it is at the beginning of this movie there's that moment where Conan is telling artists like hey brother one thing I can't stand people in chains and meanwhile this scene three people in it two people in chains guess who's holding the other end <laughs> Conan brother I got one look at that slaver life and I thought I can do it the him sending the dude uh in the trebuchet also proves that he is like freakishly good aim yes I'd love to see him play angry birds I'd like to see him play those like crane games in the arcade that kind of just pure depth perception what if there's a mashup of the musical Tommy but it was Conan and he was playing crane games I think it would sound a little something like this. Ever since I was a crane boy. No, I don't. That's all I got. <laughs> they send this message and they've jammed a rag into this, I don't know, henchman's mouth. And they pull it and they're like, he's like, hey, brother, you need to meet us tomorrow at Sharpur Bait Outpost. Toot sweet. ASAP. RSVP. Okie dokie. And Marie gives it a sniff and it's like... <laughs> It's the pure blood. Also, she just started. You cut back to Conan, who is like, hey, sorry to do this, but I got to tie you up. Also, here's a sneaky knife in your hand, sister. They come for you. You give them what for? 
That's some yeah. good old Conan advice. Zim rolls up on him with uh, Marik in tow. Like, she doesn't get a horse. She just has to run behind him, apparently. Right. Come in, father. You could put me on the back of the horse. Don't think so. I gave you a choice. Knife fingers or a horse. And you chose knife fingers. Live with it. Conan uh, is like, hey, look, brother. I know you think that I want to sell this pretty lady to you. That ain't it, man. Conan is here for your head. I'm keeping on brand. That is right. More Conan and potatoation. It's here that the movie turns into a video game level from Ubisoft's Prince of Persia. That's exactly what I was thinking of when I was watching this. Marik, the half witch, half something. She blows magic on the sand and then Bronan proceeds to fight these sand warriors that just keep popping up from the ground and they knock out bronan and they respawn and he whacks them and they fall apart and then sand warriors give chase to tamra and none of this really matters at all and i guess they just finally kill enough of them because they just stop coming at a certain point and then so that conan can fight zim zim's like who are you and he's like hey brother you don't remember me? I'm the dude, uh, I cut off that one dude's nose that you were rolling with. Mm, I don't remember exactly. Could you give me more details? I was tied up like I was just a little kid, man. Uh, I was uh, like 13, 14. I've tied up a lot of children in my career. Could you give me more details? There was molten steel. There must have been like seven tons of steel. Mm. Molten just over, like you had it so that no. like if I pulled one way, I was going to burn myself and then my old man could burn himself he pulled yeah. the other way is is pretty That's, fucked up man i gotta tell you it, that shit stuck with me i had to watch that with my eyes i understand that it made an impression on you but i must tell you that's my signature move i've done that literally hundreds and hundreds of times is there something else that you could perhaps tell me that would make me remember you i killed some of your dudes with an egg in my mouth oh wait you're the egg boy yeah brother that's me, the egg guy. Cuckoo cachoo, motherfucker. I remember you. I've Marik, come over here. This is the egg boy, the one That's that you me. stole the sword from. Up high, not with that hand. Other one, yeah. All right, it is good to see you guys again. <laughs> Shit, it has been a long time. Last time I saw you, you were murdering my dad and stealing my shit. Yes, this is the boy who came up with seven. Marik? That was me, yeah. It's just one week in school, brother. I was just sitting around like, man, six is a lot. But what if there was more than that? <laughs> I was like, hey, everybody is satisfied with a six pack. You give me a six or a CLs, I'm a happy Conan. You know that is true. But I thought, what if I had one more than six? And I was like, I can't. There's only six. I finished that six pack. Look. Brother, I'm going to get real with you here. This may mean I got a little bit of a problem, but that doesn't do it for Conan anymore. <laughs> what I'm saying, this is a cry for help, Zim. I had to invent a number to bury my pain. <laughs> so then, while uh, Conan and Zim are sword fighting, Marie poisons a spinning knife. <laughs> right. 
And uh, he's like, oh, got me on the arm, brother. And then he just starts getting weak and fighting like shit. Then Tamara shows up to help him out. And there are some video game red barrels laying around that Tamara sets on fire. And then they've got like dynamite or gunpowder or whatever it is that explodes. And then we get a real slow-mo walk away of our heroes in the foreground with fire combusting in the background as wood and metal shrapnel explodes in every direction i did not expect the slow-mo walk away in a conan movie i mean but that's what this movie turns into like we keep comparing it to a video game and that's what this movie is it's one big video game i was kind of hoping we might get a dance number or maybe an animated sequence it would not have been completely out of the question. But let me ask you this. Would it have been better if the Sand People had been like the old school Jason and the Argonauts skeletons? Like all stop motioned out that he had to fight? Would that make the scene better? It would have been better if they had made magic a more consistent through line in the entire film. Because magic only shows up here and it doesn't show up anywhere else. In the finale, I was like, why don't you summon Sand People and kill everybody? Yeah, I mean, it's a fine question, Chad. I, I got no answers for you here. Tamara and Conan up having to like jump off the edge of this castle which is conveniently placed right next to the ocean which conveniently has their buddy artist on a boat in the ocean next to the castle on the sound stage where conan and tamra are hanging out right and so they jump in and uh zim and marik look over the edge and just kind of growl at the water and like ah, curses conan has <laughs> slipped the noose again meanwhile conan on like artist picks him up and conan's on the boat and he's just like dag man i was so close i mean brother how often tell me give me a, a round number how many times have i sat here and said if i could just get close enough to zim it's gotta be seven right oh conan i was going to say it was probably around six but now that you say that it's probably closer to seven right and I feel like a real turd artist. I am not going to lie to you. I mean, I was right there. I mean, yeah, the witch chick hit me with a Mickey. That wasn't my fault, brother. But I, I got to prepare for that shit, man. She got my head, brother. You know how I hate that. People all up in my head. She gave me that look, man. You know how it is like sometimes when you're pulling up to a four-way intersection in a desert and there's that like one motherfucker with a bucket trying to get some money to send his kids to camel school or some shit and you make eye contact on your horse and you're like man brother i just ain't got no cash on me who take who carries cash anymore you know conan i think some of her witch hallucinogenics are still flowing through your butt you should rest i gotta tell you it you're a hundred percent right it is pretty cool if you could get me a couple more of them goblets of wine i think that is gonna chase me right into the sunset <laughs> Carry on my wayward son. Yes, yes, Conan. Carry on the wayward son. All right, everyone. Conan's going to sleep for a little while now. Peace when you are done, artist. Yes, yes. Uh, we know how you do, Conan. I love you, artist. Shit, man. I know you do, Conan. I love you too, all right? I'm going to go back to my bunk. I'm going to rub one out and I'm going to call it a day. I'm sure you will. I want you to sleep for about six or seven hours. Probably going to be thinking of that Tamara chick. I ain't going to lie to you, artist. She is pretty cute. Let me go talk to her, Conan. And, and and we will straighten everything out. Sounds good, brother. Uh, how are we on that wine? You go rest, and I will bring it to you. By the way, bring Conan no more wine. I heard that. I got Sumerian hearing, brother. I can hear seven feet away. <laughs> So it's nighttime and a bunch of bad guys climb aboard the ship to steal Tamara because she's the pure blood. Hey, that's very similar to 
King Kong, Season 8, Episode 1 of Pick 6 Movies. It's very similar to King Kong. What's not similar to King Kong is that it goes from nighttime to daytime in the very next scene because it's much easier to make a movie in daylight. <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, I was trying to tell Marcus that the whole time, brother. It's like, <laughs> what are we doing at night? We could be sleeping, man. Sleeping and fucking two things to do at night that are less fun during the day. There's a battle on this ship. And I think it's supposed to have moments of humor in it. I'm not sure, but they all fall flat if they're supposed to be there. In the scene, Tamara, she's having trouble wielding a sword to decapitate people. But you know what? She gets the hang of it and she really gets into the spirit of murdering people. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part of all of this is uh, like this montage of friendship in this moment. I like when Tamara just pulls artists to the side and she's just like, so tell me about Conan. <laughs> is he seen anyone? Is he is he serious? Is he a serious man artist? Oh, Conan is seeing many, many people. Most of them are not there. He's messed up on witch hallucinogens, and he also bites his toenails with his mouth. He's very disgusting. But I'm asking like real people, not the ones in his head artists. You know what I mean here. Is there a ring on a finger that I need to know about? No, there is no ring on the finger, but he has uh, two or three on his cock. Yes. And at one point, as Tamara is like flirting with him, he's like, you're dressed like a harlot. You need to wear more leather. And she's like, all right, that seems cool. I mean, whatever you say, Conan. And I, and I like that they're an adventurous couple. You know, right away, it's just like, put on something weird, man. Something tight. Something, something that shows off your ass like I like. After this big battle, everyone on the ship cheers. They're like, huzzah! We have defeated our enemies. And their corpses lay around us with their blood. So let's get to cleaning this up. And then we see the ship floating in the water. And the editing in this movie is terrible. Because the next scene we see is Conan walking off the ship onto the shore. As Conan's leaving, Artist tells Tamra, Conan forgot the map to the shore. You should take it to him, you know, to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And Tamra's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she grabs the map and runs after Conan. Conan looks at her, he's like, he's like, look, look, I'm a free spirit. All right, I go where life takes me. I'm like a twig on the shoulders of a mighty stream. You coming with me is not a good idea. And then Tamara and he just start kissing. Yeah. Which is one, unexpected. Two, incredibly awkward, but not as much as the next scene where we then see Tamara and Conan having Cinemax level sex. It is surprisingly not graphic. It's not crazy graphic, but there's just a lot of it. It's a surprise long fuck scene for Conan the Barbarian. But in fairness, the original has a scene like that too. It's just, you happen to care about the characters and it matters, but... That was also a different time. I mean, you used to have just like unnecessary gratuitous sex scenes in movies. In this day and age, when you're watching it, it's like, what are we doing here? The next morning, Tamara is just like, well, time for me to go. Like, I'm not sticking around. Yeah, she exits this cave and does the strangest walk of shame I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah and she starts making her way back to the ship and surprise surprise she runs into some of the evil army dudes and is kidnapped bronan wakes up naked and he's like tam 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 maybe she went out to get some crellers and coffee that tam tam is a hell of a woman always got my back great in the sack you know bronan maybe you should settle down you know i don't know i mean it's kind of a big decision isn't it i always said if i ever did it i was just gonna do it once and that was it ah ah jeez let me put some pants on and think about this a little bit more. Whoa, whoa, whoa. On second thought, what if I just roll out to the front of that cave and let it dangle? 
That is a gift to me and her brother. <laughs> and which is kind of way he just runs naked after. Then Marik grabs Tamara. And then Conan, after he does dress kind of, finds one of Marik's claws left behind. Like she wouldn't notice that. Like she wouldn't be like, hey, where's my pinky claw? Hold on. Let me count them. One, <laughs> two, three, four. Four's the highest number there is, right? Uh, have you been talking to Conan? You mean the egg boy? No. In our village, four is as big as things go. <laughs> I really like this world where numbers have just like <laughs> left and right. The, the magic of discovery awaits. <laughs> uh, Argalon, Chad. The city of thieves is next. And are you even kidding me about all this? Who could care? Conan is wandering through uh, this bazaar with you know, a bunch of pretty ladies and shops. And he asks the equivalent of Rob Reiner uh-huh. uh, for uh, a way to find Patch in this, in this bar. The thief that no one remembers from the beginning of the movie right and they have not mentioned since rob reiner is like who are you looking for and he's like you know the patch guy and uh he's like uh i don't know anything about that you need to get the fuck out of here and then he grabs the bartender by the dick he's like hey sorry to do this brother but i gotta give it a tug let you know i'm in business down here is that what he does i thought he killed the guy i thought he just grabbed his dick i mean i don't want either of them to happen to me but if i gotta pick one but i don't think he was loving like it wasn't like a hey i'm just gonna give this little pat like a- no it's like the opening of stir crazy when that dude grabs that guy's nuts by a set of pliers and twists them yeah and then pat shows up and he's like hey i owe this man my life and cone's like brother i'm so glad you said that i've been thinking of cool shit to say ever since i started on this trip up here and man i was like if he says that he owes me his life, check this out, brother. Now you got a chance to repay it. Boom! Listen to that shit, man. That is cool. Hey, before we head out, like, we got some <laughs> things to talk about. You want to grab a CL or two? Because it is thirsty work thinking up cool shit to say. We come back inside this mystery fortress, and Marik reminds the audience that she stole Conan's sword when he was a boy. And everyone's like, hey, I'm glad you remember that because nobody in the audience did. And then here we see that Tamara is strapped to a wheel like the one we saw uh, in the opening of the movie when Morgan Freeman was narrating all that nonsense. We come back to Bronan and Eyepatch and they're making their way through the dungeon catacombs of this fortress. Yeah, I mean, we are just zip-zooping all over the map here. I don't know how long any of this has been going on. Like, we went to a whole city of thieves. How close was that? Was that a day trip? to a city of thieves if so do some of the kids from the city maybe go to the city of thieves on the weekends i assumed it was like an amusement park they're all just connected you know within a five minute walk from one another it's like a living pirates of the caribbean with somebody (laughs) chasing around a barmaid who's got a broom out of here as conan and eyepatch are making their way through these watery dungeon holds this sea creature attacks eyepatch and then conan immediately just saves eyepatch so that scene's over yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so these these two climb up through this hole in the basement of this prison that's filled with people in cages and then the aforementioned sea creature from the water reaches up through the floor and just starts grabbing people left and right and then it's essentially sword fight tentacles chains cages screaming there's the other mini boss akun is the guy's name bad editing cgi chaos masquerading as suspense punching more sledgematic and then conan and eyepatch get out right they don't kill the monster or nothing i was like what and and the uh, uh coon dude ends up getting killed of course but 
It's like, how do you not kill the sea monster? The, the coolest thing that's happening in this scene. No. It's like, well, we better get out of here, brother. <laughs> Something interesting's happening. We we can't do this for too long, man. Uh, we got this uh, shitty movie union rule. You cannot stay in an interesting scene more than 120 seconds. So we got to boogie. Conan tells Patch, he, he says, you scream like a woman, brother. You also cook like a woman. You sew like a woman. You kiss like a woman and you, you smell like a woman. You look at me longingly like a woman. You make me want to settle down like a woman. You, you steal my heart like a woman. Patch, will you marry me like a woman? And then Patch says he's not ready for that kind of commitment. And then he's basically out of the movie. Yeah. because and, and Conan is like, hey, brother, your debt is paid. You do not have to go with me to that crazy looking skull cave. And so the thief is like, all right. See you later. I'll see you in another movie. <laughs> nope. Um, and then Conan chases after the procession of like Zim and Marik and the army and all that going to the dead skull cave I I think like they they name it skull I think they refer to it as skull cave it's like never has there been a more accurate name for a thing because it looks dead up like a skull it's not like well no if you kind of squint your eyes it's like you can kind of see the eyes and stuff like Skull Island is kind of like that in Kong where it's like yeah okay it vaguely resembles a skull no this is like skull face island cave so he makes it to literal skull cave in time to see tamara being put into place over this pit in this wheel thing the the place really looks like like um some form of a like a like a temple of doom (laughs) yeah this rips off (laughs) temple of doom something fierce left and and right I mean, we'll we'll point them out. Not all right. This is where we start with one of many. Yes, this scene is chock a block with ripoffs <laughs> of Temple of Doom. Tamara is tied to the wheel and put over the thing. Marik then gives Zim Conan's sword and is like, "Use this to draw the blood from Tamara," which he does. Meanwhile, Conan, I'm just straight up murdering dudes up above the chamber. Then Tamara is turned over Kali Ma style mm-hmm. so that her blood will drain into the mask. Boom, boom. Which comes to life and starts to wiggle around. Yeah. Which is real silly. Mm -hmm. And then Zim puts it on and is like, Maliva, my wife, come to me. And then Conan shows up in a robe. He's like, hey, man, I knocked out one of these motherfuckers, got on this sweet robe. No matter what happens, this is when, because I'm leaving with this thing. This thing is comfortable. It breathes, brother. You do not know how hard it is to find something that goes across the chest is tight enough to show the nipples, but, you know, gives a little wiggle room, man. That's all Conan really wants. Just a- feel, feel that. That is seven thread count minimum. During this scene, when Conan shows up and just starts beating up guys, the cave begins to crumble, and Tamara, still attached to this wheel, falls like 100 feet down in this hole, but the wheel gets lodged into the, the rock facing in this deep well, and uh, she doesn't make her way down to the ground below, which would certainly kill her thanks to gravity. Um, <laughs> Conan drops down to rescue her, and then Zim drops down to stop him. Keep in mind that Zim is wearing this all-powerful god mask. Kind of seems like he would have the advantage you right it just cannot capitalize like it's like a a a sweet 16 cinderella team that just can't make it to the eight there's a lot of battle crash bam boom and then tamra gets freed by conan and she jumps down on a ledge and then conan and zim they just keep sword fighting as this cave crumbles around them (laughs) we're down in this tunnel and marik shows up looking for tamra and marik says i smell you 
And I'm like, you know what? That's just rude. We haven't invented deodorant yet. <laughs> Everyone has their own scent. You eat a lot of fruit. Tamara and Marik do battle. And Tamara punches Marik. And Marik throws knife-fist punches at Tamara using her Freddy Krueger fingers. And it's all very unexciting. At one point, though, Chad, Conan is chasing after Tamara. So he's gotten away from Zim. And then after Marik and Tamara fight a little bit, Tamara gets loose of her and goes to hide. And it's like, everybody's hiding. We were just in the middle of a fight that felt like the end of this movie. And now everyone's just hiding again chad and it won't fucking end the credits won't roll we're almost done and this movie is dragging its fucking feet like nobody's business to cross the finish line here and the point where they all just were like oh we're all hiding from each other again stop it right now get back in this room and all fight each other until one of you is dead marie gets upper hand on tamra during their hand-to-hand battle and then conan shows up and he just tosses marie around like a rag doll and then conan chops off marie's metal hand and then tamra judo kicks her in the chest marie falls off a cliff and and Marik just dies. See ya. She, well, she lands on this spike that is very reminiscent of the death of Christopher Lee in Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. He also starred in The Wicker Man. Not that one. This one. Season 8, Episode 5. Conan and Zim start fighting again. And Conan has his father sword back. And then they fight oh. with two swords for a while. Mm-hmm. And then Conan is like, I gotta tell you, brother. I like the old school sword the best. Like, I got two of them. But I'm just going to stick with dad's old sword, man. Mm -hmm. It is a hometown favorite. I'm going to carve this motherfucker up with this thing. And Conan goes on the attack, gets the better of Zim, and then the whole place collapses on top of Zim. But of course, he's still alive and yells, Barbarian, I'm coming for you. And you're like, just stop. This movie needs to be over three different times now. Not since Return of the King has a movie ended so many times. <laughs> Conan and Tamara, they run to escape across this wooden bridge. And again, because this movie has no problem ripping off Temple of Doom left and right in the finale, Tamara crashes through the wooden planks of the footbridge, just like Short Round did in that other movie. As she falls, she grabs a chain from somewhere. And Conan is holding one end of the chain, Tamara's on the other, and thus he is preventing her from falling her to her death in a a molten pit of lava below because apparently skull face island mountain is built on a dormant volcano and alligators would have been too on the nose (laughs) zim shows up and again i'm like why doesn't he have superpowers with this octopus mask on his face it seems like he should right all it's doing is making tamara's face go pale and a little sexier if you ask me where she's uh, like turning into the witch uh maliva or maliva or whatever the wife's name was and she's and so she's like conan you have to drop me because i'm turning into this witch lady and that's probably a bad thing well we get a reprieve of the earlier scene with Ron Perlman when he's going to have molten lead dumped on his head. And I know this because Zim explicitly describes what is happening in this scene. And he says, it's like, once again, barbarian, you are holding a metal chain to save the life of a loved one who, if you were to let go of said chain, would be burned to death by molten liquid. The first time was the form of molten lead above your father, but this time it's lava in a cave below what will you do barbarian and then morgan freeman chimes in is like it was a real pickle for conan it was just (laughs) like what had happened when he was a younger man and now it's happening again 
In fact, let's just roll back the tape. Then there's a scroll of words on the screen <laughs> in an age far beyond comprehension and time. Conan the Barbarian was holding a chain, not like he had not done since his youthful childhood. Also, in a, a moment totally unlike Temple of Doom, Conan is just like, you want to talk to God? And cuts the, the board so that the boards fall out from beneath Molaram, I mean uh, Zim, and he falls down into the lava. Tamara seems normal now, if less intriguing, quite frankly. Right. And then they run out of the skull cave and ride off in a, on a horse as the whole thing crumbles. Right. The best part of the movie happens right here, where he's just like, "All right, so this is where you live. Uh, I guess uh, I'll just, you know, see you in the funny papers or something. Uh, you know, hey, next time you are uh, throwing a kegger." You think of me. You think, hey, where is my old buddy Conan? He would love a party like this. And she's just like, so this is it? And he's like, uh, yep. And then just fucks off and done and done. And then Conan goes back to the village that was burned when he was a child. And we get these flashbacks of him forging the sword with his father and ron perlman spouts off some of this that and the other and then the movie ends with conan holding up the sword that he and his father made with the blade in his hand and the handle in the air which seems totally ass backwards and he just kind of screams out who's ready for a champagne jam <laughs> and then frankenstein by the edgar winter group plays and credits roll to Conan is a bad motherfucker. Conan is real cool. Bada bump. The end. Yeah, I'll tell you what was a nice surprise seeing an hour 52 of runtime and realizing that eight minutes of that was credits. <laughs> you got that going for you, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Chad, what do you think of this movie? <laughs> this movie is rotten, right? It's not so much that it's rotten. I think that the movie should have been more over the top. It should have been more violent, more blood, more gore, more nudity, more sex, just more of everything. But because it's just this lukewarm remake, it doesn't do any of that. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I highly recommend the original Conan the Barbarian with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is hilarious to watch the links they go to not have him say anything. That's pretty hilarious in that movie. But it works. It, it does work for the character, surprisingly. I mean, sometimes it's like, you're just not letting him talk right now. But sometimes it, it really works for the character. And it's just a really well-done uh, movie. Like, the special effects are cool, and the music's great. James Earl Jones is the villain, and he's awesome in that movie. There's a dude whose entire weapon is just a giant-ass hammer that he goes around conking people on top of the head. It's great. That movie is awesome. And this movie stinks in comparison. I think Jason Momoa is a charming enough guy, but Conan isn't a charming character. It doesn't play to his strengths. I think he's way more fun as Aquaman in both the justice league and the aquaman movie i think he just has more room to kind of be a bro and despite our fun times goofing he's not very fun in this movie he's not there and that's something else from this movie that's really absent is any real sense of humor it takes itself way too seriously and it's too silly to take itself so seriously absolutely but like when it's you know we're going to Al algernon the thief kingdom it's like by the time you're doing that stuff just wrap your arms around it and be a more lighthearted kind of film 
like Conan the Destroyer. Not my cup of tea, but at least you're being something. How would you rate these movies from best to worst? Because I know your best, which is King Kong. 100% that's the best movie we watched this season. So where do you rank Planet of the Apes, Fantastic Four, Poltergeist, Wicker Man, and Conan the Barbarian? This is going to be real controversial here, Chad. All right. I would go King Kong, Wicker Man number two, because it's not that long and it's kind of hilarious. Conan 3, Fantastic Four, number 4, Poltergeist, number 5, Planet of the Apes, number 6. Wow, Planet of the Apes is your number 6. I've seen that movie a bunch of times now, and I never want to watch that movie again. My ranking is going to be controversial for you, then. All right. I, too, put King Kong at the top. Sure. But my number 2 is Planet of the Apes. That's crazy talk. That movie is so bad. I know it's bad, but I rank them on which one of these would I watch again with a total random stranger. And because of Mark Wahlberg, walking around holding that little monkey's hand i'd watch that again because the rest is just a swamp of of just trash after that fantastic four conan wicker man poltergeist is my bottom that movie is just it's unwatchably bad yeah you really hate that movie as one uh door closes a window opens as they say it does so this is the end of season eight obviously it's our, our finale this season but we have kind of big news for season nine yes so uh i don't know chad you you go ahead you you, you crack the champagne bottle across the bow Sure. For season nine, we're going to change things up a little bit. Theme is going to be Hail to the King, baby, where we will be doing six motion pictures, all inspired by the works of Stephen King. But that's not all. We're also going to change up our cadence of how we are going to be delivering our episodes. Rather than taking three or so weeks off and then giving you six back-to-back-to-back episodes, we are going to shift things up and we are going to be consistently delivering a new episode every other week. Chad, our listeners may ask... Does that mean that uh, we get shows every other week and then at the end of the season you take a bunch of time off, you selfish bastards? No! It means you get episodes every other week year-round. What if it is a Friday and the show doesn't come out today? Then you will be getting a show the following Friday. That's crazy. So come back and see us as we tee up Season 9 featuring six frightfully fantastic films from one of the most iconic authors in these United States that have inspired multiple terrible motion pictures over the last 20 years. Yeah, picking just six of those movies? That's tough. That's the real do. It's it's a lot of bad stuff. So, as always, like, rate, review, send us an email, pick6movies at gmail.com. Find us here, find us there. Thank you for listening. We always enjoy doing the show. We always enjoy your feedback. Bo, any final thoughts on not this one, that one? No, I never want to watch any of these movies again except for King Kong. And we'll be back in two weeks. Here, here. <laughs>